It's episode 119, and today I'm talking to Rochelle Crawford about her journey to simplicity. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I have the first of four interviews in a little mini series that I'm starting called Journey to Simplicity. I'm talking with four real families about what the journey has been like for them, where they started out, the barriers and the obstacles that they faced, and how the journey continues today. I'm starting off the conversation with Rochelle Crawford. Rochelle is a former nurse, and she lives in Michigan with her husband and three kids. And I'm so grateful to her for sharing her story with us. Before we dive into today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Personally, I've been wearing contacts for over 20 years, and I've had the same prescription year after year. Simple Contacts saves me having to go to the doctor year after year to get a prescription for my contacts. This app actually has a self-guided eye exam that you take from the comfort of your own home, and it takes less than five minutes. So not only did it save me time, but it also saved me money. While this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, it is a great option for people like me who need a yearly contact lens prescription. And today you can get $20 off. Go to simplecontacts.com forward slash simple 20. Use promo code 20. And again, that's simplecontacts.com forward slash simple 20 to get $20 off and use the promo code simple 20. Again, that's simplecontacts.com forward slash simple 20 and use promo code simple 20. Back to today's episode. Today is the first of four interviews where I'm talking to real families about their journeys to simplicity. You can find the links to the things that Rochelle and I talk about today in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 119. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Rochelle. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Danae. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Rochelle, you are the first in our series of four interviews about the journey to simplicity. And I'm excited about this because I love talking with real families about what the journey has looked like for them. And I always say it's a journey, not a destination. And you probably would agree with that. Yes, absolutely. So I have a few questions today. I want to know more about what the journey has looked like for you. So was this something that you felt like you were naturally drawn to? Were you drawn to simplicity in your childhood? Or is this something that you have found into later on into your motherhood years or what that looks like? So would you like tell me to start? What did your bedroom look like as a kid? Oh, my word. It was um, constantly a mess. And going up to clean it took me hours. And I don't think it actually ever got cleaned. I kind of lived with like piles along the corner. If everything was out of the center of the bedroom, then to me, that was clean enough. I kept a lot of stuff and um, everything was sentimental to me. And so I just kind of stored it all and piled it up in my room. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I had one of those closets that there used to be a lot of cartoons where you would open the closet and like everything would fall out on you. Yeah, it's like a huge hazard. And that was my closet as a kid. And under the bed was the other place that everything went under the bed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every corner that could have something had something. So did your parents, were they okay with you having a messy room? Or what what was that dynamic like? I would say not. They wish it was cleaner, but it never really... I mean, they knew that was probably as good as it was going to get with me because that's just how I always cleaned everything. And that's how I tidied all the time. So as long as everything was out of the center of the room or there was a blanket over a bunch of stuff on my bed, they just kind of turned their head and let it be. 
Oh, okay, good. So in my family, my mom was always nagging me to clean up my room constantly. It was a constant battle for years and years, which kind of went on into my college years with my roommate and then into my adult years with my husband. (laughs) Yeah. But so your room was full of mostly sentimental stuff, would you say? Yeah, I think everything felt sentimental to me. So yeah, it was, you know, books and stuffed animals and just constantly like dolls and everything kind of had a special place in my heart. So I kept everything. Yeah. Is that something that you still find a tendency towards? Not so much. Like until about a year and a half ago, I'd say so. Like everything had a purpose or I thought I could use it again or it was special to me, especially once I started having kids. Everything they had was special to me. So I thought I had to keep everything. Now, not so much. I've kind of redefined what is important to me and it's uh, changed the uh, the way I store stuff. Okay. Yeah. And I, I feel that so much. It took It was a very long journey though, getting here. <laughs> yes, me too. It took far too long, but I'm really thankful to be here. So are you a person that you would say is naturally inclined towards having a busy calendar and a busy schedule? Oh, yes. that I always thought that, that I was a go, go, go kind of girl. Constantly had to have a plan and somewhere to be and something to do. And if I didn't, then I would find something. I'd make an errand or run to the store or pick something up. I never really liked to sit still. And what do you have any thought as to why that is? Do you think that's just part of a person's personality or what do you think that's about? I think, honestly, that I didn't like being home. Like everything was kind of just suffocating me, just constantly clutter everywhere. And I was really, I didn't feel really bad or really good at picking it up and tidying it. So I kind of left all the time. I think I kept myself busy in order to not be alone at home and then have to face all the stuff that I was storing. And I just didn't really want to clean it. So if I was too busy to clean it, then I didn't have to clean it. So you felt like getting out and doing things was in a way avoiding having to deal with the stuff. Yes, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think so. And I really like um, getting out and doing things. But there was always that looming sense of what was at home. And I'd always book too much. So it was like I couldn't enjoy what I was doing because I had somewhere else to be immediately after that. It kind of felt like. And then once I got home, then I felt overwhelmed by my stuff. So I kind of feel like I lived really a rushed and hurried, overwhelmed state. And I just thought that was life. Like that's, I thought that was what I was meant to live. Because it was kind of the only thing you ever knew, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think that I spent most of my early years and my adult years like that, this idea of constantly feeling frazzled and constantly feeling like I'm not going to have enough time to do what I need to do on a daily basis. Yes, exactly. Are you someone that feels like you usually get done what you need to get done? Or do you feel like things tend to loom over you? That's a good question. I don't think I ever really completed a task. My husband is really good at picking up and like tidying a room. And I kind of like just wandered in circles, starting in one place, bouncing to another place, and then ending up in another room trying to reorganize a closet. Like I never could actually finish a project. And when I was out and about, I, I mean, I, I didn't really have projects I was working on, just like going places and doing things and play dates. Then I'd come home and I just never could finish anything like that. Yeah, no, I don't think I was very good at completing a task and he would agree. Okay. And how long have you been married? 14 years. Okay. And, and how old are your kids? They are eight, six, and two. Uh, okay. So how old were you when you became a mom? I was, goodness, 28 when I became a mom, I think. Yeah. Okay. So when you, so you were married about six years before you became a mom, did yep. you deal with clutter and busyness during those years, during your married life before kids? Yeah. Clutter. We just lived 
cluttered all the time. And I worked as a nurse full time the night shift for the first part of our marriage. So we were kind of passing each other and maybe pick it up at night or we just, you know, when you don't have kids making it more messy, it kind of felt like for me, I'll just get to it when I get to it. So I would work the night shift and come home and go to sleep and maybe pick up a little bit. But I wasn't, we, we kind of lived pretty cluttered for the most part before having kids as well, which when once kids, I thought, oh, well, once I have kids, then I'll figure out how to be organized and I'll have a system and a plan and a routine. And then you have kids and it's like, wow, I'm not magically, amazingly Mary Poppins. Like this actually is more work now. And so I, I never had a good structure, I think, set up ahead of time. So I, it just got so much worse after kids. So it sounds like your schedule, if you were working the night shift and your husband was working the day shift, that it probably felt really busy because you weren't having a lot of downtime together. Yes, yes. And it was only three nights. So we, we'd, you know, try and get back into the swing of things for a little bit. But then I'd go back to the night shift and it, it felt kind of crazy and we'd miss each other. And, and when we were home, we wanted to go do stuff and not spend our time at home. And we made lots of, um, you know, get together with friends and stuff like that. So... Okay. And what about the transition into motherhood? What was that like for you? That was a bit of a shock. Like, I I think like a lot of people, you think you don't really know what to expect. And I knew it was going to change things, but I really, it was a shock, but I loved it. I really loved being a mom. So did you stop working once you became a mom? Not at first. I went part-time and then eventually per diem. And then with my last child, I opted to stay home full-time to be here. And it's funny Looking back, I think I went part time, hoping that once I was home part time, then I could, you know, kind of manage my home better. And then I went per diem and thought, well, now if I'm only working once a week, now I'll have everything under control. And then it just seemed to kind of get worse the more I was home. So I started to feel like, well, maybe this is me, not so much the kids. I'm just really, really bad at being a homemaker. So I opted to just leave. We had play dates all the time and I kept myself really busy with like every membership you could have in the city, zoos and museums and constantly on the go because I just figured, well, I'm a really good mom, but I'm just a not so great homemaker. And I chalked it up to that and I did what I could to clean up and pick up when I was home, but it was just never something I felt very good at. And I kind of felt bad about it, but I couldn't figure out, I couldn't see what was the problem really. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. Or sort of what the solution was. You knew what the problem was, yes. but you didn't know what the Thank solution you. was. Yes. I didn't know how to fix it. It's like I couldn't see it. Now it seems so obvious that my stuff was the problem and my busyness was the problem, but I couldn't see it. I don't right. know why, but I couldn't. Yeah. It's that expression, you can't see the forest through the trees, that when right. you're in the midst of it, it's really hard to know what to do differently. And I feel like there's so much of that in parenthood, that this idea of that, like, it, because it's so emotional and physical and all-consuming that you can be right in the middle of it. And sometimes the solution can be so obvious and it's just completely out of your reach. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once you came to the realization that this wasn't getting any better, did you feel like there was a transitional moment or something that pushed you in this direction of simplifying? I think it was about a year before I actually became a minimalist that I just started to feel this overwhelm growing and growing. I felt really dissatisfied with my life and I loved my life. I had a happy marriage and healthy kids and there's really no reason to feel so discontent and dissatisfied, but I started to just feel like motherhood and managing my home was like monotonous and I was stuck on this treadmill working really hard, but 
for what, it kind of started to feel a little purposeless. And so I just felt more and more dissatisfied and discontent. And I remember sitting in my living room with my husband and I, I just could feel like the walls were closing in. I'm like, we're watching television. We're about to go to bed. And it's like, I spent all day cleaning, all day running places. And for what? Like now we're just sitting here and I got to do this all over again tomorrow. And I just, it, it was sucking the life out of me. And so as this grew, I feel like I was, I, my heart became more prepared and more ready to accept this message that I heard from a, a girl at a MOPS. She was talking about healthy meal planning and she mentioned that she was a minimalist. Like it had nothing to do with minimalism. But when she said she was a minimalist, like everything inside of me, like sat straight up, like I looked around and nobody else seemed to really hear it. And when she said that, it was like something in me shifted and I knew that I needed to go home and get rid of my stuff. Did you do it like all at once? Or did you feel this compulsion to just get it done? It took a long time to do it. So I got home and I turned on PBS Kids and handed out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and started researching what is minimalism, how to become a minimalist. And I'm really thankful I came across um, Joshua Becker's Becoming Minimalist. And he suggests that you start with yourself because I thought I was coming home and gutting toys. Like that was the problem area I saw in my home. But I'm so thankful I took the time to research it because I started with myself and I ended up going into my closet that same day. I think it set a good foundation for our family, especially for my husband and my older son to just show them that I could do this work and and not expect from them something that I hadn't already done myself. So I went home and gutted my closet. That was where I started first. And did you do it all in one day or was it a, a slow process? I did my closet all in one day before moving on to other areas. Yeah. I mean, it was probably within a couple hours. I ruthlessly was like, nope, nope. Yep. And some of the stuff I threw away, I didn't throw away, donated, but um, had tags on it, stuff that I wished I had worn. And I did it all pretty quickly just in one day. The whole house took me, honestly, I thought it would only take me like six months max, but it took me a long time because I wanted to take time and enjoy the progress we were making and then, you know, get back into it later. So it took us about a year to do the whole house top to bottom. Yeah, when I did my closet, my closet was one of the first areas in our house as well. And I did it in pretty, I think I did it. I think it was one day, mostly in one day, at least. And I remember feeling this need to just get it out of my house. Like normally, I would be like, Oh, I'll take it to a consignment shop or like, I'll find somebody that wants this or that. But I put it into these giant like the big black leaf bags, like the really big garbage bags. And I was like, it has to go like it has to go right now. And I, (laughs) I put it out by the road in like not quite by the road, but close to the road. And I put a message on my local mom's group. And I said, I just got rid of my whole wardrobe. It's sitting in bags out by the road. Please come and take it someone. This is my address. That's awesome. (laughs) And it ended up one of the moms came and took it and she took a few things and ended up giving the rest to her cleaning crew. And it, it ended up all going to good homes, I think. But it felt to me like I just, I felt like it had to go. And there was something that in that process, it felt way Wasteful because I felt like, sure, I could have consigned this stuff. I could have had a yard sale, that sort of thing. But it also felt like a learning experience because I saw those gigantic garbage bags of perfectly good stuff leaving my house. And I felt to myself like, I can't keep making this mistake. Like I can't keep spending money on stuff that I'm not going to wear and I'm not going to use. And I need to start being more careful about the stuff that I'm bringing into my home. So while I felt very wasteful at the same time, it was this huge shift that I think has helped to save us not only so much money, but so much waste going forward. Absolutely. I totally agree. My husband, when he came home, saw my pile and he's like, okay, I understand, but 
like, are you going to go replace all of this stuff now? And I think knowing what I had gotten rid of and knowing how much money that I was just giving away pretty much kept me from making purchases going forward. I totally changed the way that I purchase clothing and anything that comes into my home. Now I take the time to really think about if I want to take care of it, if it's something I actually love wearing. I don't keep anything that I don't love wearing now. And I have like a one in one out rule. I don't bring anything into my home and I get rid of something. Even after that initial like dump of clothes, I still now, if I buy something, get rid of something. I don't allow myself to accumulate. What do you do with stuff that you get rid of? We give it to a family that we know. Like my younger daughter, she is a season ahead of a friend of mine. And so they have twin granddaughters. So we give her clothes to them. My clothes, I have like a local Lansing City Rescue Mission that they have a upscale thrift store. So I take my stuff there or ask friends if they want it as well too before I let stuff go now because it's it's easier now because it's only like a couple, you know, a handful of items. But initially I donated it all to the rescue mission. Okay. Yeah. And I find that having a good resource to a good and easy resource to donate to or to move your rehome your things to is really important because if you don't know where to take it or how to dispose of it in a useful way, then you're more likely to hold on to it. Yes. I feel like having a a community resource that aligns with your heart, something that you're passionate about helps get rid of stuff and not feel so guilty about letting go of things that you shouldn't have paid for. You know what I mean? Just knowing it's going to a good place helps me get rid of it with ease, really. Yes. And I completely agree. And since we've moved, we used to live in Texas. And a year ago, we moved to New York. I, I haven't found as good of resources to donate yet at two yet. And I found that that I think has held me up from letting go of things. And we live in a more rural area now. So it's not quite as easy. We used to have a Goodwill truck that was around the corner once a week. And we could just like take stuff there once a week. And it was yeah. really easy. It was literally like a 10th of a mile from our house. But since we don't have that now, I feel like that has been a barrier in letting go of stuff, even though it doesn't have to be. So I think that identifying that next step for where the stuff goes can be really important. Yes, I agree. Just doing some research to find some places that you become passionate about. But I think at first, not letting that be the holdup, because I think it's easy to be like, well, I got to find someone that for this and I got to find someone for that. And you, you wait for someone to really need this stuff, then you hold on to it longer. And maybe if you just let it go, somebody is going to find that stuff. They're going to go into the, you know, the goodwill where you drop it off or wherever you take it and find it. Because I feel like realizing that this stuff I'm holding on to for what if or if I ever feel like wearing it again, I was just holding on to it for no reason when there's people out there who actually could use the stuff that I'm holding on to for my, you know, worst case scenarios and my what ifs. So, right. And I feel the same way. The stuff that I'm putting into a box for sentimental reasons, the kids clothes and that sort of thing, thinking that there are actually kids out there who could be wearing it rather than just having it sit into a box, sit, sit in a box for years and years. Yes, I absolutely agree. We keep just a couple things like, you know, my daughter's first Easter dresses. I've hold on, held on to those. And I just have one bin of clothes for all three kids, just small sentimental items from when they were babies, because sometimes it's hard to get rid of that stuff. But just knowing which ones I really treasure and being realistic about the ones, you know, I have pictures of them in some of these cute t-shirts that I love and letting them go to other families and keeping my pictures been, has made it easier for me. Me too. I Each of my kids have one small bin. And my goal is that they're going to keep this same container for many years to come so that they... And as I go through it, and as I add things into it, I often find myself taking things out of it. Because what I found to be sentimental, one year, I might 
forget about or sort of like, why did I keep this? Um, So keeping the same size bin and curating it regularly to make sure that the things really are something that are going to be lasting and sentimental for years to come, not just at the moment that I put it in there. Yes, absolutely. My parents allowed me to keep a lot of stuff growing up through junior high and high school. And then I became an adult and I really didn't care about it and actually all got ruined in a garage that got wet and it all got moldy and we threw it all away. And I don't, I don't miss it at all. But even before minimalism, honestly, I didn't miss it. So I realized like I don't care about a lot of this stuff I had when I was little and I know my kids aren't either. So what I keep, I kind of think, is this something I would want now from my childhood? And if not, then I just let it go. Yes. And I completely agree. Actually, a lot of my things from my childhood also got wet in a basement. And I think my mom feels pretty bad about it. But at the same time, I don't. I feel like you yeah. know, that doesn't change my life experience at all by not having those things today. Yeah, I agree. So you simplified your house. And then what about your calendar, your schedule? What do your days look like? Oh, I purposefully make white space. I don't allow myself to get too busy. And I really think before I say yes to things, if it's something I want to take on, I almost wait probably too long just to make sure it's something I really can take on. But before my initial reaction was yes, 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 I I wanted to do everything. And now I really think through what is best for our family and what can we take on. And do you feel like that's one thing per day? Or do you have any sort of guidelines? Or do you just do what feels right for you, given the time? I know some days are going to be crazy. I don't put specific numbers or because I kind of can easily get lost in the perfection of all of that kind of, you know, one thing a day. And then I don't want to say no, just because I met my quota. But I if some day is going to be a little bit more busy than other days, I make sure that our, oh, the weekend going forward, we have a lot of downtime so that we can rest and recover. Because, you know, with three kids and we, you know, play soccer and they have school activities and horseback riding every now and then. And I just want my kids to be able to enjoy those things and not jump and rush from activity to activity. Because before I think my initial parenting strategy to create this perfect childhood was to say yes to everything, to put them into every activity and commit to all the things, you know, so they have an opportunity to be really good at sports or um, not miss out on something. But I realized that my family was sacrificing, like we were missing out on what we really met, what matters most to us, which is just being together as a family and growing together. And so I wanted to make sure we made space for that. Right. And I think that there is a lot of misunderstandings around the value of those early extracurricular activities. And I think that when our kids are really young, we want to do it when, you know, when we have babies, we want to get our kids into classes and that sort of thing so that we can have contact with other caregivers and other mothers. And, but as they grow, we start to feel like we're giving them this leg up in society and they're going to be like a pro soccer player because they started when they were 18 months old. And there's just no truth behind that at all. (laughs) And at what cost, right? Right. And and the thing is that the research actually shows that kids are less active when they're in structured activities. So if you enroll your kid in baseball, they are getting less physical exercise and activity than they would if they were just free playing in your backyard. That makes a lot of sense. It does because, you know, they're waiting in line, they're doing drills, they're not getting that activity that they would be if they were just running around and playing tag and chasing each other and whatnot. But I feel like there's a lot of the fear of boredom that 
that drives us towards busyness as well, because you have three kids. Like when your three kids are bored, like what does life look like at your house? Oh, they kind of hang around my ankles and want me to make some slime or make, you know, bubbles. And, you know, they expect a lot of activities, but the more space I give us, the more used to becoming bored they are that they go off. And my son's excavating for dinosaur bones in the back of our yard. And my daughter's making a fairy garden all by herself under a pine tree. And so they start to find ways to entertain themselves. And then the next thing you know, they're playing together. They're playing together more and fighting less. I mean, we have our good days and bad days, but I think that it's drawn them closer together than me trying to create activity after activity to keep them entertained. Right. And I, and I do think that when you first make that transition, what most people will find is that their kids are constantly underfoot. Their kids are constantly arguing with each other. That detox from busyness can be really overwhelming and it can almost scare a lot of us into keeping up with it. Do you think? Yes, definitely. It's like, what have I done? Go back, go back. Let's find something to do to, you know, make them to occupy them. But if you push through, I think it it pays off. Right. And I think that's the same thing with detoxing from screen time. I think that a lot of times what happens is parents use screen time to keep kids busy because that downtime, they're hanging around, sort of irritating them or picking at each other for siblings. And they use screen time, parents use screen time as a way to get that break and to get the kids to sit still and be quiet. And a lot of times when they're acting in those ways, they need not screen time or not some sort of structured activity, but they need an opportunity to get out and to run and to roam and to create and to play freely. And we feel the pull as parents to steer them in the other direction and to provide some sort of structure when maybe they actually just need to be some time to be a little wild and free. Yes, lock them outside. I feel like the more screen time my kids have, the whinier they are later. And yeah, it just kind of sets the mood in our home differently. But when we take away the screen time and force them to go outside and stay outside or go play together, yeah, it pays off. Yeah, and it does, but it takes time. Like I feel like making a transition is not overnight. It's not even after a week. I think that especially kids who are used to being entertained, used to having a lot of screen time or just structured activities in general, that that transition from being busy and occupied and entertained nonstop to having to figure out how to do that for themselves, that can be a really hard transition. But it's so worth it and so valuable on so many developmental and educational levels for our kids. Definitely. Yeah. So what about, and I feel like it's sort of, I moved through this process as I decluttered my home, I decluttered my calendar, and then I was still left with this really busy, cluttered brain. And my mind was still spinning all the time. Do you feel like you move through a similar process or what is your brain like these days? <laughs> what is my brain like? Yeah. That's funny. I do feel like that. It's kind of like everything slowed down. I didn't have as much to pick up. I didn't have anywhere to be. And so the next thing you know, I was just alone with myself and I I was kind of uncomfortable. Like I started to realize that I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. I realized that I, I kind of operated in a really worry prone state. I had just this mild anxiety and I was pretty unteachable. I kind of thought I, I had it all figured out and realizing when I'm alone with myself, I'm not quite, I didn't really like the state of my brain. So I started I used my free time to do more reading, to listen to podcasts and to kind of dive into personal growth. And that has paid off big time. And I think that's helped my brain um, shift gears and be more comfortable with being alone and being content with doing nothing because it was not a natural transition to slow down. I had to, it took more work almost at first than it, than the busyness did 
just allowing myself to have nothing to do and knowing that that's okay. And before I feel like a lot of my self-worth came from perfectionism and what I could accomplish and being alone and just being still and letting ourselves just stay home for the day wasn't natural, but it worked out. The more I was home, the more used to it I got, the more used to it I got. And I had time to dive in and read some books that I hadn't read in a long time. Yes, and I agree. I think that the more I created a space that I enjoyed spending time, the more I wanted to spend time at home. And I'm kind of a homebody now, and I'm completely okay with that. I think some people think about a homebody as this negative thing, but I actually think it's a really wonderful thing to just be content to be home and to relax and to be with my family. I feel like that downtime of doing nothing is some of the most valuable time that we have together. Yeah, absolutely. I always thought I was an extrovert. And the more I was home, I realized I was not. I was just, I thought I thrived in being busy and realizing I'm actually more introverted than I ever thought I was. And I was one of those people that thought being a homebody was kind of negative. I guess I wouldn't have said that out loud, but it was like, oh, you're just going to be home all day? Like, why don't you want to go do something? But now realizing the value of being home and what that does for our family unit and for my own brain to recharge and reset. I feel like it makes me, when I go back out into the world, I actually am more energized and I can engage and move with purpose and intentionally. So here's another question that sort of relates to that. So I got a question recently because on Instagram, I posted something about our au pair. We hired an au pair two months ago. I'm writing a book and running Simple Families, which has taken more and more time out of me. So having someone to help support me with childcare has been really, really helpful. And she's part of our family now. She lives with us and she's here. And like part of the experience is it's part exchange student and part babysitter. And our job is to really incorporate her into our life. And so of course, she comes in to my Instagram stories because I show our family's life. And I had a message from a reader saying, I love how open you are about having an au pair. And I thought, and I sort of, I was like, that's an interesting comment because, well, first of all, I wonder what it means. So I asked her, I was like, I'm really curious, like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, well, I feel like most people don't like to share that. Like, I feel like most people don't like to share if they have help. And I was like, you know, I feel like this is something that needs to be talked about more. This idea that that suddenly I felt sort of insecure. I'm like, should I be hiding that I can't do everything on my own? Which actually made me want to share it more because I feel like, no, I can't do everything on my own. And for a long time, I tried to do everything on my own. And I'm slowly asking for help. And I'm slowly getting the support that I really need. And as I'm sort of processing that and thinking about talking to people and talking to other women about this this need for support. And how do you feel, Rochelle, about getting help from other people? Is this something that you've struggled with? Is this something that you get? Like who supports you? Okay. I think having support in a tribe, in a community is very, very important. And yeah, you should definitely not feel bad about having support. And we should be able to talk about it because I have a babysitter that I use some days just so I can go write or run some errands or not even really just be and maybe go do yoga because I feel like when we're constantly on the go, we don't have time to recharge. And so I have a babysitter that I use. My mother-in-law and my mom will take my kids sometimes. Those are really important parts of keeping my family running and operating smoothly and yeah, I have a, a friend who comes and cleans my house for me. When I first went minimalist, I thought, well, I have all this time on my hands. I guess I can clean my house. I had somebody clean my house just every couple of weeks to come do like the deep cleaning 
for years since my first son was born. And I thought, well, I'm bored now. I can clean my own house. And then I realized I'm going to let her keep doing this because she's a friend now and I enjoy seeing her and talking with her. And I'm really not very good at the deep cleaning, right? So I have somebody that comes in and does the deep cleaning for me while I can go do other things with my kids. So I, I absolutely think we should be able to use help and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. And I think it's awesome that you have a foreign exchange student and au pair in your house. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. And it's something that I have been reflecting on since this. And I'm thinking to myself about how it's perceived to have help and I think that maybe there's this perception that since I talk a lot about kids being independent and learning how to play independently, that perhaps there's this perception that like I sit and like run the podcast and the blog and my online community all while my kids are like out, like in the backyard playing independently for hours and hours on end. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Absolutely. <laughs> not. That's Yeah, I mean, my kids are two and four, and they need a lot of attention and a lot of nurturing and time. And that is something that needs a human for and I don't give my kids a lot of screen time. So I that is that's the only other natural thing is that is to incorporate another human into our lives and to help support with that so that I can do what I need to do to get done. But yeah, I just I feel like there is this need in today's day and age to sort of be everything and do everything and put off this perception of sort of being super mom. Yeah, no, I have really had a reality check with that this summer, too, because I have a blog and I'm trying to do some writing while I am spending more time with my kids. And I, I haven't used as many babysitters or, you know, haven't scheduled time with grandma as much as I probably could have. So it's taken a hit. Like I haven't been able to write as much. And I've just learned like, okay, that's okay. September's coming and they'll be back in school. And I'm trying to do what I can to enjoy just being with them. But if I try and write within the moment, I sit down like somebody needs something every time. They're still little like my two year old, she can't be left, you know, alone. And I could hand her an iPad. But the next thing you know, I don't really want her having an iPad for two or three hours so I can write something right. So we go outside and she needs to be supervised. And so if you're gonna, if I'm gonna set aside time for writing or working on a project, I have to have help. It's just the age they're at right now, too. As they get older, that'll get easier for them to be alone and more independent. But it's just not a reality right now. Right, right. And I think that I find that I'm much more present with my kids when I have the time to do what I need to get done. And I've tried to sort of find the balance where I'm squeezing in a little bit of work here and a little bit of work there. And then work is always on my mind. I feel like I need some separate designated time to get work done so that I can have separate designated time to be really there and really present with my kids and not have my mind be on another planet. Yeah, I feel like when I try and multitask and do both of those at the same time, both things lack. Yes. They both miss out. You can't give your a full attention to either. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that's when I get when I try to do those kind of things, that's when I get myself waking up in the middle of the night with a to do list in my head. And whenever that happens, when I wake up in the middle of the night with like, oh my gosh, I need to write this down. I have <laughs> something pops up yes. into my brain. That's when I know I need to slow down and I need to step back because my to do list is literally leaking out of my brain in my sleep. Yes, I agree. That's like doing less has become my defense mechanism for that overwhelm and that middle of the night to do list those incidents. I feel like now I just look at my calendar, I look at my home, what is why do I feel this way? Why am I feeling overwhelmed? Why is life crazy? And 
where can I cut back? Is there, Does more stuff need to go out of our house? We're constantly getting rid of even more stuff. I don't even know how I still have things to get rid of, but we do. We find areas of our calendar we can cut back on or, you know, after a week of feeling crazy, it's like, okay, I'll remember next time to say no to this because this was too much for us. So less is kind of my defense mechanism for that overwhelm. And if that means getting help to watch your kids so you can accomplish something, I think that we all absolutely should do that if we can. I agree. And I think that's the other part is if we can, because I think that, you know, you and I are very privileged to be able to do that. And I think that, you know, babysitters are expensive and we don't all have the liberty of living close to family members to provide that extra support. But I mean, I have friends that do a really amazing job of doing like babysitting swaps where they'll keep the friend's kids for a while and their friends will keep their kids for a while and finding resources and being really creative. I feel like sometimes we can get stuck into this rut where we're like, oh, I can just never get anything done and I don't have any help and I'm unsupported. And thinking about all of those negative parts rather than focusing on so finding solutions and finding a way to get those little bits of time so that we can be the best, most calm and present person that we can be. Yeah, I have a really good group of friends that I know that mom and mother-in-law are unavailable. I know I can call on them and they will do whatever they can to help me out and we'll take turns watching each other's kids. And I think finding a tribe and a community is really important. And I've found a lot of friends through our church's mom group. MOPS is what it started as. And um, I think that is a great resource for people to be able to find friends in their community if they're having a hard time finding like-minded people with kids their kids' age. It's you know, it has to check off a lot of boxes once you become a mom to make everybody happy. And um, yeah, so I think finding mom groups has really, really been helpful for me and a lot of people I know. I agree. And I think so. There's a, there's a mom that lives a few houses away that I've become friends with, and she has a son that's about the same age as mine. And she also has a baby. And last week, I had invited them over in the morning to come over for a play date. And she had texted saying that the baby had been up all night, and she thought the baby was sick. And I was like, well, just send send your son like to come play with my son. And I think that there's reservation about that, sort of just dropping your kid off at a friend's house, especially since we don't know them that well. Right. But she did. And it was awesome because my son was busy all morning playing with this other kid, his friend. So it actually made my life so much easier. And sometimes, like, let's be real, we don't really feel like socializing. (laughs) So I got the morning to do what I needed to do. And my son got to play with a friend and his friend's mom got to go home and take a nap with her tired baby. And we all won. Yes, (laughs) everybody won. Like Just thinking outside the box about how we can find solutions like that, I think can be really helpful too. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, Rochelle, it's been so fun chatting. And you have started a blog now to talk about your journey. Can you tell us about that? How long have you been doing that? I started the blog within a few weeks of becoming minimalist, mainly because I had a lot of family and friends like, what are you? are not a minimalist. Like you have a car and a TV. You are not a minimalist. So I kind of just wanted to document our journey and share what minimalism really was because it doesn't have anything to do with the types of items you're keeping or how much you're keeping. It's a state of mind. And so I wanted to share our journey. So I started the blog Abundant Life with Less, and I've been doing it for about a year and a half now. 
Great. And you are on Instagram and Facebook and all those sort of things I would expect? Yes. I'm at Abundant Life with Less for Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Awesome. I will put those links in the show notes for anyone that wants to stay in touch with you. And do you have any resources or any favorite posts or anything that you feel like would be good to share with anyone getting started on their journey? Yeah. My post titled um, When Mom Goes Minimalist is my very first one. And then I have another one, Declutter Like a Minimalist, where I give strategies to getting started in minimalism and what worked for our family and how I got my kids on board and just what set a firm foundation going forward for minimalism. So it's called the Beginner's Declutter Like Guide to Decluttering Like a Minimalist. Great. Well, I will put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. This has been a lot of fun and I hope we get a chance to, ch- to chat again soon. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been episode 119. If you have questions or comments, leave those in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 119. If you want to stay in touch with Rochelle, you can find the links to her contact information in the show notes as well. I appreciate you tuning in. If you want to stay in touch with what's going on on Simple Families, the email list is the best way. So if you go to simplefamilies.com and leave your email address right there at the top, I'll be sure that you get all the updates on what's going on on the podcast, on the blog, and in the community. Please take a second to leave a quick rating or review on iTunes. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon.